Hey, I know you may not have been able to see that very well. That's okay. I hope you were able to hear that. I hope you were able to hear that because some of us know what it's like to be a fan of something more than a follower of something. Talking about the difference between being a follower of Jesus and being a fan of Jesus. I'm really excited about what Jesus says and what he says he's about. They're all things that I can support. But there's a difference between being in the stands and being on the field. That's what he's talking about. Some of us know what it's like to encounter somebody that challenges for us what it looks like to follow Jesus. Some of us have come across someone in our life where we thought, to them, it's real. They don't just show up. They don't just critique at the end of the game and say what could have been done better, what they would have done differently had they been on the field, but they're really in it. They're really part of it. They're really following. I came across a quote recently in a movie, and when I heard it, I thought, that's it. That defines for me the Christian walk, at least in some way. That defines for me the choice that we face as followers of Jesus. If we want to follow Jesus, that defines the choice between being a fan and being a follower. And here's the quote. It says, dark and difficult times lie ahead. And soon we must all choose between what is right and what is easy. Because to live on mission for God, to really live for the purpose of following Him, to really allow God into your life to transform your heart, to change you to have a heart that looks more like His heart than your own heart, is not easy. And we're faced with the choice. Am I going to be a fan or am I going to be a follower? Am I going to be comfortable or am I going to get dirty? Am I going to follow him or am I going to follow my own agenda? Am I going to submit my life to Jesus or am I going to do my own thing? That's the choice that we have. That's the choice that we have to make when we come to Jesus. Am I just like what he does or am I going to follow who he is? Because we might acknowledge him. We might come to church. We might say all the right things. We might know all the right things to do. But when we haven't submitted our lives to him, we haven't actually surrendered to him, then we're still following me. I'm not following Jesus. Dark and difficult times lie ahead, and soon we must all choose between what is right and what is easy. Why is it that doing the right thing is usually the harder thing? I would submit this morning that doing the right thing usually is the harder thing. I think that's why doing the right thing is always so much work. If you don't believe that or you don't think that's true, let me just make a few statements to you and you tell me, you don't actually tell me, but think to yourself, how does it make you feel when I say these things and then you tell me that doing the right thing is not the harder thing? What do you think when I say this? Spend less than you make. I think we'd agree that's probably the right thing. Spending less than you make is the hard thing. Depending on what you make, it's harder. Eat healthy. What if I tell you to eat healthy? Seems like the right thing to do. Kind of hard. Be kind to your brother. Those of you who have a brother. Don't hit your sister. Those of you who have a sister. Exercise regularly. Don't lie. Yeah, that one hurts. I know. Yeah, preaching to the choir on that one. <laughs> How about this? Don't lie. 
Even if it's to spare someone's feelings or to spare yourself, don't lie. Be a truth teller. Hard thing. Give generously. When I say those things, we would generally agree those things are good and those things are right. And why is it that those things are so hard? Because doing the right thing is usually the hard thing. And if we're truly pursuing the mission of God, if we're really about doing that, then I think we can expect that dark and difficult times are ahead because as followers of Jesus Christ, we have an enemy who is committed to making us ineffective for the kingdom of God. We can assume that dark and difficult times are coming because we have an enemy that is committed to making us ineffective for the kingdom of God. That's just a reality for those of us who follow Christ. So this morning we're continuing in our study in the book of Acts and we're following Paul and his buddies as they are seeking to live on mission for God. They are seeking to make disciples. That was the charge that was given to them. And that's what they're trying to do. There are three pieces to the narrative that we're going to look at this morning, three different sections, and each one of them shows a different challenge that they're going to face as they try to follow God. Each one of them is going to present a different challenge of this is what it looks like to follow Jesus and this is why it's hard. And what we're going to find is that the mission that they're called to brings surprises it is not always what they would expect it to be. That the mission that they're called to not only brings surprises, but it brings spiritual attack. And that the mission that they're called to brings persecution. In this case, physical persecution of them. And we all think, wow, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to sign up for that mission. Surprises, spiritual attack, and physical persecution, sign me up. I'm in for that. But that's what they've signed up for. What else does the mission bring? other than those things? Well, we find that the mission brings people into the kingdom of God. It brings people into God's family. God uses those people then to resource his kingdom work so that it can continue. We find that the mission brings glory to God. His name is proclaimed, and we find that the mission brings rescue to those people who are in need of saving. So the mission is hard. We clearly see that. But the mission has purpose. We're going to open the Word of God now, and before we do, I would just ask if you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we've, we've stated a desire to live on mission, and we believe that as a church, you've called us to do that here in La Habra. And Lord, we believe that you've called us here to make disciples, not just of the people in this room, Lord, but of those in our community, our friends and those around us, our neighbors who need to know how much you love them. But that's not easy for us to do. Lord, so we ask you this morning for the courage to do what's right. We ask you for the courage to follow you. We ask you for the courage to make disciples. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, would you reveal your will to us? We thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to warn you this morning, there's a basketball tournament going on next door. Some of you have already heard it. I just want to tell you that that's going on, and I think that's awesome. Because every time we hear the whistle or the horn, we're reminded that we are praising God, preaching his word in a public high school. So I just say, how cool is that? That's cool. Okay. So every time you hear it, be reminded. Okay. Turn with me. If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, we have some here for you in the aisle. If you want one, just raise your hand. We'll pass it down to you. You can do that. You could get up and grab one. That'd be totally fine too. We got a hand here. We could grab one and pass it down. 
What we want you to know is that if you don't have a copy of God's Word or you just really like this one, you are welcome to take this home with you. This is our gift to you. So you're welcome to keep that, take that home with you if you want. If you're using our Bible, we're going to be on page 925 of the New Testament, all the way at the back, page 925, Acts chapter 16. If you remember our passage from last week, Paul and Silas and their team have been called to Macedonia. They have concluded that that's where God has called them, and they've concluded that for a couple of reasons. One, the Spirit has prevented them from going anywhere else. (laughs) They couldn't go anywhere else. And then Paul has this dream, he has this vision, and this man is saying, please come and help us, and incidentally, I live in Macedonia. So it seems clear, the call, but they have a conversation about it together, they conclude this is where God is calling us, and so this is where they're going. So they've been called to a specific place to minister to specific people. And I would think if I am them and the call seems so clear, I would be very, very excited about what God is about to do. God has called us to a specific place. He has orchestrated events for us to reach this specific group of people. I think we're about to see God do something amazing. And they're right. God is about to do something amazing because he has called them there for a purpose. But it's going to be hard when it happens. And when we look here in Acts chapter 16, the first thing we see is that the mission brings surprises. The mission is not always what they would expect it to be. So read with me here these first few verses in Acts chapter 16. We're starting in verse 11, picking up where we left off last week. It says this, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Stop with me there for a minute. Paul and Silas and the team show up in Macedonia, and the plan is to do what they do in every city. They go to a big city, Philippi, a Roman colony. They're going to go to a place where they can get the word out. And they're going to do what they always do, which is go to the synagogue and preach the gospel and then see what happens. That's kind of the plan that they've set up. And so it says they walk out to where they would expect, outside the city where they expect the synagogue to be. And they don't find a synagogue. They find a place of prayer. It's possible that synagogue and place of prayer mean the same thing thing, a place where people meet and pray, study the word. But Luke uses the word synagogue a lot in the book of Acts. He's not averse to it, so I'm inclined to think that this is something different than that. They walk outside, and what do they find? Primarily a group of women. Luke actually indicates that, the author. There's a clear emphasis on the gathering of women here. Now, according to Jewish law, you need 10 men in regular attendance in order to establish a synagogue. I don't know why that's the rule. That's just the rule. Luke makes particular emphasis here on the gathering of women, coming together to read the word and to pray. These are women who worship the God of Israel. And I think it's likely here that that's what we're seeing. They walk outside and near the river, here's a group of people meeting just outside. Maybe they're meeting in a home near the river. He's not very specific about it. But here we've got a group of people, not in a church. And God says, surprise, It's not what you thought it was going to be. This is not the mission you thought you were on. It's not going to look the way that you expected. But I love the way that they respond to the surprise. What do they do? Sit down 
and start telling them about Jesus. That's what they do. And then look at the response that they get. Verse 14, the story continues. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. There's a specific woman in the group that Luke mentions. Her name is Lydia. She's a successful businesswoman who comes to faith in the Lord. How do we know she's a a successful businesswoman? It says she's a dealer in purple goods. And as we all know, purple goods is like the most lucrative business you could be in. Not as much today, as much as maybe then. It's a lucrative industry. She owns a home. She owns a home not only large enough to host Paul and his friends, but later we'll see that she actually hosts the church in her home. She seems to be doing very well. We could insinuate that from the passage. But look at the important part of this is how this works. Do you see what it says? It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Here's the order. Paul talks. She listens. God works. It's God who opens her heart to receive the word. Paul's faithful to proclaim the gospel. She's attentive to what he's saying. God does a work in her heart. And she accepts the work of Christ on the cross. And she surrenders her life to him. And she's baptized. And everyone in her home is baptized with her. They all come to saving faith in Jesus Christ at that time. And then her response is, how does she respond? Her response is gratitude. How can I repay you? Please come and stay with me. Please Let me give you a place to stay. Let me take care of you. Thank you for sharing the gospel with me. The response is gratitude. For those of you in here that have given your life to the Lord, you've surrendered and submitted your life to him, when the gospel became a reality to you, do you remember this response? Do you remember when you responded to the gospel with gratitude, when you were overwhelmed with gratitude to the Lord? Do you remember what that was like? I would hope that for most of us, we live in that place. That's why we want to be faithful to proclaim the gospel again and again to each other. Not just to those that don't know it, but to one another. So that we might come together every Sunday and say, praise God, I am saved. Thank you for saving me. And if you have never felt that, if you have never experienced that, then I'm not sure you get it even a little, because I I think if we understand the gospel a little bit, we would be overwhelmed with gratitude. And I would say as a church, wouldn't it be great if our service here and our ministry to each other was just an act of worship, just an act and a response of gratitude to the Lord to just say, thank you for saving me. What can I possibly do to repay you? That's Lydia's heart when she receives the word of God. So we see that they're called on a mission. We see that they're called on a mission that brings surprises, that brings some unexpected things. The second thing that we're going to see here is that they're called on a mission that brings spiritual attack. Not really in the way we're used to seeing this, but look with me in verse 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, so they're going back to where they've been sharing the gospel with these women, We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination 
and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So as they're sharing the gospel, as they're going back to this group of women that are meeting for prayer and reading the word and they're sharing the gospel with them, they have this very bizarre encounter with this woman who is possessed. She has this spirit within her that allows her to tell fortunes, allows her to tell the future. And her owners, she's a slave, are making a bunch of money off of this. What's interesting to me is what she's saying seems pretty harmless, doesn't it? What she's saying actually seems to be true. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they proclaim to you the way of salvation. I think we have to understand this a little bit in the context of Philippi. Because when she says these are servants of the Most High God, what are people hearing? They don't hear Jesus. They hear Zeus. Zeus is the Most High God in Philippi of all the different gods that they worship. And this is a pantheistic culture, meaning they worship a bunch of different gods. So when she says they proclaim to you the way of salvation, it'd be very easy for that to be understood as they proclaim to you a way of salvation, these servants of Zeus. At the very least, this is not the person you want speaking on your behalf. This is a woman possessed by a spirit. Not to mention the fact that it's just super annoying because she's following them around everywhere they go, and she keeps saying this over and over and over again, and Paul just finally has enough and says, that's it, come out. In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out, and the Spirit comes out. The power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, just the name of Jesus Christ, not the power and authority of Paul and Silas, the power and authority of the name of Jesus Christ is on display. In front of a group of people who worship all kinds of gods, The name and the power of Jesus Christ is on full display. So Paul and Silas and the team are called on a mission that brings some surprises. They're called on a mission that brings spiritual attack. And then we see them called on a mission that brings them physical persecution. Actually, as a result of this encounter. So look what happens next, verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone... They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. See the way they say that? It's like, that's like two counts against them. <laughs> hey, they're Jews, and they're disturbing our city. Is that true? Are they actually disturbing the city? No, they just lost them a bunch of money. But in the Roman government, you, you can't bring a claim against someone to say, This guy lost me a lot of money that doesn't hold up in court. So they just say they're disturbing the peace. And as you know, the Romans take peace very seriously. There's like a whole Latin name for that. Okay. He said they're Jews and they're disturbing our city. Verse 21. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet 
in the stocks. So here's what this looks like. They're arrested on false charges. We already kind of described that. They're beaten quite severely. We know this because of later in the passage, it tells us they, they have their wounds cleaned. Now, if you are beaten with a stick until your skin opens, that is a severe beating. That is not a bruise. So they're beaten severely, and then <clears throat> they're thrown into maximum security prison, or the equivalent, right? The inner prison, it calls it. They want to make sure they stay locked up. Now, this is the exciting mission that Paul and Silas and his friends have been called on. Yay! This is the mission. Are you kidding me? This is the dream that brought them to Macedonia, that brought them to Philippi to share the gospel. This is what's waiting for them. Man. But then look at the response of Paul and Silas. Verse 25. It says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I think of this, and I think of Paul, and I think, well, of course he is. Paul, like the super Christian, the super apostle, of course he's singing and praying to God and praising God for all that's gone on. But I also look at this and I think, I don't, I don't know if I'm that kind of Christian. I don't know if I'm that kind of Christian. I don't know if I get the mission of God or if I trust him enough to be that guy. To be that guy that's just been beaten and thrown in prison and had all these things happen and then just say, praise God. Praise God because we're proclaiming the gospel and people are coming to faith. But I want to be that guy. I look at that and I think, that's inspiring to me. I want to be that guy. And then look, he's doing it in front of everybody. He says, all the prisoners are listening to them. That's why I get excited about this morning. There's a basketball tournament going on next door. I don't think of that as a disruption. I think of that as, hey, we get to praise God and pray and preach the gospel in front of people. And they get to see that that's done here. Look at what God does. Verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke, and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And they brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Look at what God does. Now you might recall in Acts chapter 12, that Peter is thrown in prison and he's going to be put on trial for his life. And you remember that God sends an angel and he just kind of like walks him out of prison? Do you remember that story? Just walks him out. Well, what happens to the guards who are guarding Peter? They're all executed. That's the punishment for losing a prisoner. So when this happens, 
That's why this jailer is freaking out. That's why he's about to kill himself. He realizes all the doors are open, all the chains have broken free. He's, he's dead. He is a dead man. And Paul stops him. It's likely that what happens at nighttime in the prison, that all the prisoners are brought into the inner prison where Paul and Silas are being kept so that they can keep track of all of them at once, which would explain why Paul knows that nobody has left. It would also explain why everyone can hear Paul and Silas singing and praying. But it's interesting to me when I think of Peter's case that God intervened to rescue Peter, that God intervened to break him out. But in Paul's case... God intervenes to rescue the jailer, not Paul. This is not a prison break. This is a rescue. He's rescuing the jailer and his family. And then like Lydia, the jailer has a similar response. The Lord does a work in his heart so that he can pay attention to Paul. And like Lydia, he accepts the work of Christ on the cross and he submits his life to him, and he and his whole family are baptized, and then his response is what? The same as Lydia, gratitude, thank you. He takes them in, he cleans their wounds. The jailer, cleaning the wounds of his prisoners, he feeds them, he cares for them. The end of the story is kind of interesting, it's, it's very Paul. Verse 35, read along with me the end of our narrative this morning. It says, but when it was day... The magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, this is the Paul part, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens, so they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison, and they visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Do you see what's happening here? Paul's not just demanding a personal apology, although he certainly is demanding a personal apology. He said, you did all this publicly and then you're just going to let us out the back door. I don't think so. I would like you to come here in person and say that you're very sorry and I would like you to walk me out so that everybody knows that you have done something wrong and I have not. <laughs> he is demanding justice, but not just justice for himself. This is justice for those believers who will remain in Philippi because Paul and Silas have been framed as these Jewish agitators who have come in to disturb the peace and do all of these wrong things. And Paul says, that's not true. We are Roman citizens. We have not disturbed the peace. We're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you will let us go and you'll let everybody know and now you will give some latitude to the followers of Jesus in Philippi because you're a little bit afraid that this is going to happen again. Because Rome takes this kind of thing very seriously. And then what do we see at the end of the passage? We see all the believers meeting in whose house? Lydia's house. So Paul and Silas, as they're leaving the city, as they've been requested, please go away. <laughs> they do. They stop at Lydia's house and they encourage her and they encourage the brothers who are there. The fledgling church in Philippi at Lydia's house, the fledgling church that includes Lydia and her household, the jailer and his household, 
And then Luke, our author, stays behind to the best of our knowledge, and he stays with the church in Philippi. And Paul's now given them a little bit of latitude, a little room to work with, with the magistrates. See, God calls Paul and Silas and their friends on a mission. He calls them on a mission, and they kind of get worked. <laughs> he calls them to this specific place and a specific people, and it doesn't go great. It wouldn't seem to us. They're excited about it, and then it's like, oh, no, this is going a little sideways. But when we watch how they respond, they remain faithful. In fact, it really seems like they don't skip a beat, almost like they expect surprises, if you can do that. They expect the surprises. They expect the spiritual attack. They expect the physical persecution. And they say, hey, that's the mission. So let's do this. Let's just do it. And let's let God do the work. We are called to live on a mission. And it's not easy. It's just not an easy one. And if Paul's experience is any indication, we can expect surprises and we can expect spiritual attack and we can expect persecution in one form or another. We're like, yay, sign me up. What else can we expect? Well, we can expect people to come into the kingdom of God. We can expect God to be glorified. We can expect people to be rescued. That's the mission. The first part is the cost. The second part is the mission. See, the mission may not have been what they expected, but their faithfulness to proclaim the gospel brings people into the kingdom of God. And then God is able to use Lydia and her resources to support the fledgling church in Philippi. See, the mission may have caused them to come under spiritual attack, but because of that, God is glorified in a place where all kinds of gods are worshipped. The name alone of Jesus Christ is shown to have power and authority over all. See, the mission may have caused them to be beaten bloody, but their response, their faithful response and act of worship to the Lord brings the jailer and his family to their knees to say, how do I have what you have? And Paul says, you believe in Jesus. That's how. Not only does the jailer and his family come to faith, but think of all those guys in prison watching this unfold, watching the direct divine intervention of God to shake the doors open, to shake the jailer's life to the core, the undeniable intervention of God. See, the mission isn't easy, but it's not easy for a purpose. That's the thing. It's hard, but it's hard for a reason. God's not sitting up there thinking, I'm going to make this so hard on you. I'm going to make this. I want to see how bad you want it. So I'm going to make this as hard as I possibly can. See, the value is not on the hardship. The value is on the mission. It's just that sometimes in order to get to difficult people, God has to put us through difficult things. God says, I've got a jailer that needs to know me. So Paul, you've got to go to jail. That's the deal. And Paul's faithful the mission's not easy, but it's not easy for a purpose. And then the result is where we see the value because we see the response of the jailer and we see the response of Lydia. That's, that's the whole thing. That's the narrative of chapter 16 of Acts. That's what we see. When people genuinely encounter Jesus, when people genuinely are confronted with the good news of the Bible, they respond when God opens their hearts to hear the words, they respond in gratitude and say, thank you, thank you for saving me. We're faced with a choice. 
Will we live on mission? Will we make disciples? Will we be a church that glorifies the name of Jesus? Will we do that in La Habra? Because dark and difficult times lie ahead. Dark and difficult times lie ahead. And soon we will have to choose between what is right and what is easy. You have your connection card this morning. I would just invite you to take that out now. I want to ask you for a response. We're going to have to choose between what's right and what's easy. And the question is, what what will you choose? Or maybe the more direct question is, what are you choosing? What are you choosing in your life right now? Are you choosing to follow Jesus or are you a fan of Jesus? As the video said. It's like, hey, I'm I'm all about what Jesus is about. That's super cool. Just don't put me in the game because I don't want to get dirty. I want to be clear. The value is not on making this as hard as possible. It's not the value. The value is not the hardship. It's the mission. But sometimes the mission is hard. So what are you choosing? Some of you are thinking, I think I'm choosing to live on mission. I think I'm choosing to follow Jesus. I'm trying to make disciples. I'm It doesn't feel that hard to me right now. Praise God. Praise God. That's great. That doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. You're choosing to live on mission, and that's great. And it's not that hard right now. Praise God for that. Just don't be surprised when it gets hard. That's all. So pray up. Well, it's not hard. Some of you right now, this morning, you're here, and you're saying, my dark and difficult times are right now. I am in the dark and difficult times, and I'm wondering if it's worth it. That's what these connection cards are for. That's why we ask for this. God is doing something in your life. God is working. It's not hard. You're you're in a time of joy right now. Then tell us what God is doing and let us rejoice with you. Let us praise God with you for what he's doing in your own life or in the life of those around you. If you're hurting right now, this is your dark and difficult time, then tell us how you're hurting and let us pray with you. Don't do this by yourself. That's why we're here together. That's why we come together as a church to encourage each other and say it's worth it. It may be hard, but there's a reason for it being hard. We want to live on mission. Don't do it by yourself. Let us encourage you. Maybe you're in a life group. Share with those in your life group. Maybe you're not in a life group. You can put that on your card. I want to be with other people who are trying to do this, and I need encouragement. I need to do it with other people. Lastly, I just say maybe you're here this morning You're like, I don't even know what you mean by follow Jesus. I don't even know what that means. But if it really brings the kind of joy and the kind of transformation that I see in this woman, Lydia, and they see in this Philippian jailer, then I want to know more about that. I want to know about that. And I would just say we would love to tell you about it. It's why we're here. So on your card, you can say, I want to become a follower of Jesus, or I want to know more about it, or you can just come up and talk to us after the service. But we would love to tell you about it, so please don't leave without talking to somebody. We have a Savior who understands what it looks like to endure hardship on mission. Do you get that? Jesus understands that it's hard, and that it's, it's hard for a reason. We have a Savior who empathizes with the difficulty, and I would say, way, way harder than what he's asking us to do. And he would say it's worth it. So God has called us on a mission and we want to be excited about the mission and then we're like, "Uh uh-oh, what's going to happen? My prayer for us as a church is that we would respond the way that Paul and Silas respond. To say, okay, this is the mission. So let's do it. Let's, Let's do it. 
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to follow you. We want to make disciples. We want to live on mission. All those things, those all sound good to us. Those all sound right. Those all sound hard. Would you give us the courage to follow you? Would you give us the courage to do what's right, to choose what's right, instead of what's easy? We pray this in the name of your precious Son. Amen.